Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Venture Games podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm thrilled to introduce my next guest, Aaron Beierschmidt, CEO and co-founder at Laguna Games, the company behind Crypto Unicorns, one of the largest games built on Polygon today. How's it going, Aaron? Great, Chris. Happy Friday. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. So for those folks who are not as familiar with you, do you mind just diving into your professional background? Sure. It's very unprofessional. I, I started a company at 19. I uh, really had no idea what I was doing, but I was pretty convinced that mobile and mobile games was going to be a big deal. So that was back in 2009. And yeah, you know, I ran that company for four years. We shipped seven iOS and Android games, um, had a few flash in the pan kind of successes, but nothing that was ultimately super sustainable. And after about four and a half years, we shut that company down. I was a little jaded and... <laughs> wanted to get out of mobile games. So I got about as far away from mobile games as you can get. I co-founded a healthcare uh, technology startup called Access Health, spelled A-X-S Health. And, you know, that went on the typical kind of startup roller coaster, made a bunch of pivots, ultimately landed on appointment booking and post-operative telemedicine for orthopedic providers. And so it was a cool product to build. It gave me a very interesting look into the shit show that's the American healthcare system. And yeah, after about two years there, I, I was really kind of hungry to get back into games. And ultimately, Brett Seiler uh, asked me to, to join him at Beyond Games. And I did January of 2017 as the GM there and I worked with that team over a number of years to launch the first product that company had ever launched and ultimately live operate a game called Battle Strike Force that had Sylvester Stallone as the face fit in the uh, mobile 4X strategy genre. But again, another crazy roller coaster ride, almost got acquired there at the very end, that fell through. We ended up shutting the company down at the end of uh, 2019. And it was really kind of out of the ashes of Beyond Games that Laguna Games was founded and, and you know, by myself, my co-founder, Stephen Garcia, and that really core group of people that kind of followed us from Beyond Games to LG. So quite the roller coaster, but yes, a lot of unprofessional entrepreneurial experience, I would say. <laughs> awesome. And so, you, you know, you and I have known each other for a little while now. And when we first met, you know, Laguna Games was... A games company, but mm -hmm. a very different games company. And so yep. what were you working on at Laguna Games in its earlier days? Yeah, so we set off, focused again on the Forex strategy genre on mobile, trying to innovate by bringing CRPG or hero collection mechanics into the kind of Forex strategy genre at large. And our first title was called Kingdoms Forever, which was a pretty sweet, you know, mobile MMO uh, that, again, incorporated a lot of CRPG uh, mechanics uh, on top of your traditional kind of Forex strategy map tactics. And uh, that ultimately got us a publishing deal with Warner Brothers. And we ended up going from paper to prototype on that first game with them in about six months. And then they pivoted us to building the next Game of Thrones title uh, for them. And that kind of took us into 2021. And ultimately, when we kind of pivoted into, into Web3. But you're right, we definitely started in a, down a very different vector. We joke about this because as a team, we like really take on the hardest possible things we can. It's just, I don't know why we 
started Laguna Games thinking that we could enter the Forex strategy genre and succeed as a small studio, as Red Ocean and mature as that uh, genre had become. And anyway, again, I, I think even the pivot to Web3 was us, again, taking on some pretty, pretty crazy challenges. But it's really why I love the team. They just kind of continue running into the breach along with Steven and I. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And what urged you to make that pivot into Web3 Gaming? Three things kind of came together in early 2021. The, the first was the WB project was kind of becoming oriented towards an aqua hire scenario, uh, which wasn't super compelling for the team. And I had been also trading cryptocurrency since 2017 and had raised a couple of small funds. And we were doing a lot of really active trading strategies. And I had moved a lot of my trading activity in early 2021 to Polygon as a way to escape the high cost of transacting on Ethereum mainnet. And I really found the experience to be great. And it kind of showed me that you could probably build and scale a successful title within the L2s of the blockchain world. And Polygon felt like a really great ecosystem to kind of build on. So having used it myself gave me a lot of confidence in it as a protocol, as a platform. And then the third piece that kind of came together was just seeing Axie Infinity's rise. Like having been very early to mobile, you know, having watched even Facebook Canvas gaming and then mobile very clear you have these like watershed moments and Axie was a repeat of that pattern again. And those three things coming together really gave me the confidence to try and go and like red pill the team as to the opportunities in the space. And it took, I don't know, it took a good four months or so. um, But ultimately I think everyone became very convinced. And again, it was watching the consistency and just the, the madness that was Axie's rise last year. I mean, that really was incredible from where they started in January to kind of the end of the year. And it, it made it easier and easier over time to convince the team that there was an opportunity. And also to just, you know, mobile is very red ocean now and Forex strategy was like the bloodiest possible part of that ocean. And so I, I think there was this general desire across the team and just getting into this back into the wild, wild west. And that is absolutely where we're at in Web3 Gaming today. Mm-hmm. And so you said you've been investing in the crypto space since like 2017. Mm-hmm. How did you originally get into it? And yeah, I'm assuming back then you didn't imagine it would be so impactful on the gaming industry. Maybe you did. But at what point did it sort of click to you that this technology is going to have a big impact on the gaming industry? Yeah, early on, I started January of 2017 being very skeptical of crypto. You know, I was saying things about Ethereum, like it's ethereal and it'll never last and all this kind of shit. And then I really spent, you know, about a year diving in and seeing the ICO craze happen and and all the madness that was kind of 2017 and obviously a very big kind of market run up. But I, I like to make this point in that I didn't have the confidence to invest in the space. I also didn't have a lot of money, but I didn't have the confidence to spend what little money I had until literally January, I want to say third or maybe second, 2018. Mm -hmm. And that was literally two or three days off the local kind of all-time high for the space. (laughs) So I finally did it. And it was a lot of money for me at the time. And then I promptly over the next three or four months crashed out about 85%. (laughs) 
And I like to make that point because 2018 and 2019 is really when I started to drink the Mm Kool-Aid. And a big part of that was just getting comfortable with self-custody and getting really, I just loved the idea of controlling my own identity and data and just being able to like, oh, this DEX isn't kind of working today. There's a weird front end thing. I'm just going to go to a different DEX and make the trade, right? And I'm like, done. I didn't have to sign up for a new account. I didn't have to bridge funds anywhere. It was just all from my, you know, my wallet. And having spent time also trying to build like social networks and stuff in the past, kind of as side projects and things, again, I, I just became kind of a true believer in the space. And when the COVID crash happened in 2020, I finally was like, oh, I've seen this story before, mm-hmm. right? Now's a good time to buy. And I bought about a month after that, that crash. And bought heavily into Ethereum, uh, largely because I believe the smart contract kind of innovation on top of the uh, just base layer primitives that Bitcoin brought to the space originally is really innovative and, and super, super compelling. And again, that kind of launched me into doing all of these different trading strategies where I was effectively just trying to accumulate more and more Ethereum over time. Mm-hmm. Right? Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, but again, learning experiences kind of across the board. As far as the gaming element, I think my early experience with CryptoKitties, I did buy CryptoKitty. I was like, oh, cool, right? And then you just saw the story in 2017. I mean, it really shut the network down for a little bit. I mean, it was just a problem. And, And I looked at that, the layer twos were not around. And I just didn't think you could build a scalable gaming experience at the time. And so I I just didn't, it wasn't like I was ignoring the space, but again, it wasn't really until 2021 for me and beginning to utilize Polygon that I realized, okay, this is something where, you know, this is a protocol where I think you can actually build a a scalable game. And of course, none of these protocols are ready for a truly all on-chain game. And again, you know, our approach from the beginning has been hybrid. And I think you know, I, I think Polygon is a is certainly still a very good ecosystem to build on in that front. But it really wasn't until seeing that myself in 2021 that I kind of had the light bulb moment of, okay, this is this is kind of time. Mm-hmm. And then going back to some Web two stuff for a mm-hmm. minute, how did you actually get into games? And if you're a gamer today, what games are you playing today? The first game I ever fell in love with was Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Mm. So I've always loved 4X. I mean, I was obsessed with that game as a kid. And then that led into, I've played most of the RTSs, right? So Warcraft and all the Warhammers and Starcraft. And again, just absolutely loved playing those games. With the Xbox and Halo, I became a FPS lover for sure. And that is kind of carried forward into today. So I play a lot less strategy and uh, RTS. <laughs> and I do still play a lot of first-person shooters. So Destiny, Call of Duty Warzone. The best dopamine hit for me in games right now is a Battle Royale win. Mm-hmm. So I've certainly become a bit of an addict on that front, uh, despite Warzone kind of being a dog shit product. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's if, if I'm playing a game consistently right now today, it's 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 Call of Duty Warzone and and getting back into Destiny. Yeah, I share your dis. Well, I share your disdain for Warzone, but it's more because I'm not a Battle Royale player, so yeah. <laughs> definitely can't relate to you on that piece. But yeah. glad glad you are a big fan. Okay, so now going back to crypto unicorns, 
Mm -hmm. um why unicorns like this is an interesting theme for someone who has a background in like you know forex games and first person shooters and all that yeah so how did you land on this idea for a game get asked that question a lot part of it is because we'd spent so much time in these serious building these very serious kind of like war games or games that were kind of fictionally supposed to be serious right and i think there was just this desire to really pivot away from that and try and build something that was very broad and would appeal as a global kind of IP. And when I was looking kind of at the crypto space, I I started to see kind of a pattern or what I thought was a pattern where you're looking at like CryptoPunks or Board Ape Yacht Club or MeBits or CyberKongs or Crypto Toads or right all of these projects just kind of didn't care, right? They were just going to go out there and run in a direction and be a little on the nose and a little mm-hmm. absurd. And they're not trying to build some crazy world fiction. They were just there and leaning into this kind of crypto space. And then the unicorn side of things just felt ridiculous enough to <laughs> like fit in that, you know, in that class of, of projects that, you know, that I looked at and mm-hmm. as having been very, very successful, right? And Early on in the concepting, shout out to Cloud, who's in our uh, Johannesburg studio. He, he kind of got the body shape of the unicorns we have now. And that moment was just a turning point. We were all suddenly like, okay, this is a thing that's like a little absurd, a little cute, a mm-hmm. quirky, you know, again, I think fits with its peers in the NFT space. And again, I think we landed on an IP that's like very broad and appeals to both men and women. And again, you know, demographics kind of grow globally. And we've certainly seen that, you know, especially if you check out our Discord. I've been amazed at just how broad we have made it. And again, it was very much this desire to, to get out of the very narrow, like kind of war genre and, and again, do something that was just on the nose Mm -hmm. and we've leaned into that man i mean this the feature like unicorn poop and stuff which is going to be just again it you know it just everybody laughs when they hear that and we just kind of keep trying to do things that are just a little out there and absurd and it seems to be working (laughs) are you a my little pony fan by any chance or a brony as they're often known I'm actually not. I, I, I did a lot of, like, I watched a documentary on My Little Pony. I mm-hmm. watched a documentary on the Beanie Baby, like four Beanie <laughs> Babies documentaries, right? Doing market research and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And actually, very early on, I had an investor, you know, ask, a, uh, I think, what he thought was a tough question. And, you know, he, he asked a similar, like, you know, don't you think that this is going to skew a little feminine? And I just said, look at My Little Pony and Bronies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that IP, I think, does skew a little feminine and still has this enormous support <laughs> from, you know, from the Bronies, right? So no, I, I'm not a My Little Pony fan <laughs> personally, but I do think we've taken some inspiration from them. For sure. And I'm sure some of your fans uh, have some crossover there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely seen some My Little Pony profile pics in Discord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so without getting too technical, though I do Mm -hmm. think it can be helpful to just discuss this a little bit. So why Polygon? And I'll just let you answer that however you think appropriate. Yeah, obviously, I've had to defend this decision so many different times. (laughs) I think when we made it in August, it, it certainly wasn't even where it is today. And so I think there was more risk in the decision at that time. 
so so not not a lot of people realize, but Polygon is uh, based around the Tendermint consensus uh, mechanism and leverages the Cosmos SDK, right? So it's effectively Cosmos, which is this internet of blockchains, but instead of trying to compete with Ethereum as another L1, it is being built, you know, on top of Ethereum. And I think it was really smart of them to lean into that as a, you know, and, and pitch themselves as a scaling solution to Ethereum from the beginning and not a competitive L1. And the fact that Polygon was one-to-one compatible with the EVM was uh, very compelling um, from our perspective. And then what really sealed the deal for me is the optionality that you get when you build on Polygon. Like we have the option over time of moving to an application specific sidechain with their edge SDK. So that would be more of a Ronin style strategy. They're also actively investing heavily in the ZK rollup sidechains and in particular EVM compatible ZK rollups. And I kind of believe that is probably the future of where the space uh, scales. And I think it's really awesome that Polygon's investing so heavily in trying to kind of lead the way on that front. And when you have people like Vitalik actually like giving them shout outs on some of that research and stuff, mm-hmm. it's usually a pretty good indicator that they're on the right path. And nothing against, you know, Phantom and Avalanche and Celo and Luna. Again, I just look at Polygon as having one of the most robust ecosystems in the space right now. And again, you know, we've got some great peers in Zed Run and Decentral Games and, and Crypto Raiders, you know, and so there's been a lot of people take that uh, bet. And I do think personally building into open ecosystems versus kind of, you know, walled gardens or even walled gardens with open gates that these kind of side chains are is probably going to be the best thing for your players. And so far, I think we're seeing that as a reality. And of course, I say that. And there's been problems, you know, Polygon went down the other day and it hadn't in a long time. And, you know, that was, that's obviously scary. That's like an AWS outage. Again, fans of the team, fans of what they're doing, fans of the approach. And it gives us a lot of optionality and flexibility. And I think that's most important when considering a platform to build on today. So in English, it sounds like the scalability is one of the big benefits. What are some of the scaling challenges that Ethereum has in specifically in regards to gaming. And again, not super technical, right? But just to sort of provide a bit more color for the audience. I mean, Ethereum's had highly competitive block space for a long time. That just means a lot of people submit transactions and those transactions compete to get added into blocks. And for a long time now, there's been way more demand than supply of blocks. And that has caused you know, gas prices to rise and, and get to the point that it's just completely unsustainable if you're trying to build a game experience. And so even though they've come down recently, um, you know, bear market does bring lower gas fees. You know, there's still somebody paying five, 10, $15 for a transaction even is just unsustainable mm-hmm. when I'm trying to get people to buy and transact more frequently as a part of gameplay. And you know, Polygon. Uh, started last year and it was like a hundredth of a penny to submit a transaction. Mm -hmm. And even it has become more expensive, but we're talking pennies, right? It may cost you four or five cents per transaction, right? In normal conditions. So yeah, you know, the path for Ethereum is to scale via these layer two solutions, right? I think Polygon is one of them. You have uh, Optimism and Arbitrum and 
even ZK Sync, which I think is super, super fascinating, especially if they hit their EVM compatibility goal on the timeline that they've kind of put forward. And I am kind of a believer that the future probably does look like a bunch of L2s that all, again, roll up and write transactions down to Ethereum mainnet. Like Ethereum mainnet is not where the retail, uh, the gamers play, right? Mm -hmm. Ethereum becomes kind of the base layer for, you know, the new internet, the metaverse, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of my belief. Obviously, there's competitive L1s all out there trying to do it. We'll see who wins. Um, but I think Ethereum has a hell of a head start. Mm -hmm. And I'm personally not going to take a stance on this, but I will just, you know, emphasize the point that you made that is very important. A transaction on Ethereum could literally cost, you know, tens of dollars for one transaction, which could be a component of a game you know, versus pennies for a transaction on Polygon. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, you know, many gamers don't have a lot of money, right? So like you might be deciding between one individual Ethereum transaction versus purchasing a new game, you know, yeah. a, a traditional game. So it's just, you know, it's an important differentiator and uh, something interesting to think about. Definitely. Now, going back to crypto unicorns, you know, I think crypto unicorns, when you just look at like the spectrum of all of the different sort of web three gaming products out there, you know, there's some that have sold NFTs and then have like a promise or roadmap. And then there's some that have quite a bit more in terms of the actual game and gamification elements. Mm -hmm. And so I think crypto unicorns has, you know, a decent amount of, of gameplay already, you know, it's definitely towards a more gamified end of the spectrum, I would argue. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, what are some of the web three games or just like ideas in general that inspired the initial gameplay in Crypto Unicorns. Yeah, so you're referring to the Dark Forest, which mm -hmm. is kind of our on-chain mini game that we launched at the end of January, which feels like six years ago. <laughs> yeah, the, the Dark Forest was definitely inspired by Wolf Game and Wizards and Dragons, which mm -hmm. was kind of a, a predecessor to Wolf Game. And could you just quickly explain those? Wizards and Dragons was kind of this like high stakes collectible game, mm -hmm. almost like where you're wagering pink slips. And so there was high risk of loss. Um, so for example, I uh, minted a dragon, staked a dragon, which stole someone else's wizard. And that was just really compelling to me, right? Mm -hmm. It was just this idea of like, oh, this is interesting, right? We're taking the collectible card game and we're really applying real risk and loss and potential gain. And that's, that's very, very, very compelling. Mm -hmm. Obviously Wolf game got exploited. So we really didn't get to see the sustainability of that economy. Mm -hmm. We did with wizards and dragons see obviously gold pieces just collapse into, you know, into nothing over time. And I looked at that and I was like, that's really interesting. What they're missing is a long-term sustainable game loop and economy to plug that mini game into, right? Because it really just is a very simple kind of like mini game. And so that was the direct inspiration for Dark Forest. Obviously, in my original spec, there was a lot more risk and potential for loss and things that, mm -hmm. that we thought would be really interesting and that uh, more closely kind of matched uh, Wizards and Dragons. And then, of course, the realities of development, as well as smart contract security and potential exploits set in. And we trimmed scope down to the very simple kind of appointment mechanic staking game that you have uh, today. And again, that kind of prompted us to uh, leverage it as a mechanism for 
incepting our like PVE feature, which is the shadow corn side mm -hmm. of things. So giving players that kind of compelling choice of, do I hoard the UNIM so that I have plenty for the gameplay launching in April, or do I choose to kind of, you know, burn it and mint a shadow corn egg, right? And I just found that really fascinating. We weren't asking people to spend more Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. But we were creating a currency a utility token, a consumable, whatever, commodity token, whatever you want to call it, that that had value because people wanted the shadow corn eggs. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a very cool thing we put together very quickly. I mean, we shipped it in 32 days from idea to on-chain launch. And, you know, basically at peak, it had over a hundred million in total value locked in it. So that was a very, very impressive achievement on behalf of the team. And yeah, something that was really, really exciting to us. And I should give a shout out to Crypto Raiders because their mobs feature absolutely inspired the Shadowcorn system. And we're not going necessarily in an identical direction, but the idea of giving the players the ability to own the bad guys was just such a cool idea mm -hmm. that uh, we wanted to do something similar. And I realized in December too, talking to the team that like, we didn't have a bad guy. <laughs> you need a bad guy mm -hmm. in all of this, right? And so kind of the yin and the yang of the shadow corns and the unicorns, it just came together in a, in a, I think a really cool way. And then, so you mentioned you um, went in a different direction from letting, you know, users potentially lose their mm -hmm. unicorn NFTs. But this is a mechanic that, you know, a few other games have tried. And so mm -hmm. I'm just curious to hear your take on, like, what do you think the longevity of this type of game looks like, right? Because for many people, they probably put a bit more money in NFTs than they should, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if you're, you know, whatever animal NFT is like half your net worth, and you're playing this game, having fun, and then all of a sudden one day it's gone, you know, you're probably not very, very happy. And of course, you know, the risks are known up front, um, but people don't always, you know, follow those. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like what you think of, of the sort of evolution of these types of games over time? I think that falls into just my general thinking about what is going to be sustainable long-term, like what games are really going to be sustainable long-term and in particular can sustain long-term token economies around them. Mm -hmm. I think there will always be a subset of games in this space that are effectively poker. The mm -hmm. game loop does not have to be poker, but everyone sits down at the beginning with a certain amount of capital and that capital gets redistributed over the course of the game loop. And that game loop has some mixture of skill and luck. Mm -hmm. And poker has been around for a long time and people love it, right? And there's real risk of loss in that, right? And so, but again, I think it becomes probably pretty niche relative to the scale, the total like potential scale of the crypto gaming market over time. And so, you know, it's hard to say again, like Wizards and Dragons, Wolf, I mean, Wolf Game, you know, I think probably would have suffered from the same problems of Wizards and Dragons is that eventually the winners begin to accumulate the vast majority of the wealth and there's no new buyers and everything falls mm -hmm. apart, right? So I'm like hesitant to say that those things will, that those specific game loops could be replicated in a sustainable fashion. The idea of poker though, is there's like an endpoint and it's kind of more of cyclical or seasonal gameplay. And I could absolutely see that being a sustainable thing. Like I'm going to join this season and go crazy with it. A really good example of this is Dark Forest, the Ethereum ZK roll-up based uh, game, which is just 
a space sim strategy game in kind of its simplest form, but is, is an incredibly cool experiment in the space and seems to be kind of gaining some traction. And you start to tie that with a token and real risk going in and out. And I, I think it gets, you know, even more exciting. But yeah, I ultimately think those styles of games are probably going to only appeal to a subset of players that are more uh, risk on, I would say. Mm-hmm. And they probably get dwarfed by whatever game experiences end up being more mass market. Got it. Makes sense. And then you mentioned just some of the challenges that some of these past games have faced as far as their economies. And Crypto Unicorns itself, you know, it's still early, but you already have, you know, a number of different things going on. There's a number of different NFTs. There's this token that you've introduced. And so how do you think about just keeping this, keeping all of this balanced? That is the billion dollar question, Chris. I think Jeff Witt, our design director, our kind of design team, Katrina Wolf, our our new product director, I think we've all oriented around the idea that you can take a lot of good lessons or best practices, I guess is a better way of putting it, from the mobile free-to-play space and how you manage and sustain a free-to-play economy over time. And a lot of that just boils down to and again, I'm kind of speaking with the Forex strategy bias here, which mm-hmm. those games are the, the highest LTV games on mobile. They're, you know, very economically deep and they have a lot of systems that are interlayered and uh, again, very complex. And so we've taken a lot of that experience and looked at it when, looked to apply it when building the design and in particular the meta systems and economy design for crypto unicorns. And that's really why we landed on the farm simulation as the core loop for the game, right? You take your land NFTs, you put your unicorns on the land, they help the land be more productive, Mm -hmm. right? That gave us a really interesting foundation to build from, right? So you start off with just a lot of economic depth where I can start using three unicorns on my land. When I want to use a fourth, I've got to build a stable, right? And that now gives me access to utilize another unicorn, which again, expands the overall utility, right? There's now another unicorn that I need I need to either breed or acquire to continue to operate at like maximum efficiency and productive output and capacity. And again, the crafting system, right? Needing to utilize unicorns in the workshop to craft. If I have more land, I can have more workshops going like simultaneously. And and that whole like progression and investment loop, I think is really very compelling and does at least today differentiate us in the market. So you asked me like what leads to sustainability? I think, I think it has to be a very horizontally and vertically deep economy that allows players to specialize within that economy And forcing kind of specialization also forces things like trade. And we have the rainbow token marketplace, which kind of acts as that mechanism for trade within the game. And that's like the foundation. And then of course, really, you ultimately have to land on something that people are genuinely getting enjoyment out of. And I think with the release of the neighborhoods feature, which is going in a very highly social kind of animal crossing direction, right? You start to have these things outside of just mashing buttons or, you know, this, this, this idea of return or extracting value out of mm-hmm. an experience where I hope people start to come to check in daily and like really play the game and enjoy it with their friends. And that's really what gaming has always been about. And 
I'm a huge fan of social games, like legitimate social games that really force you to strategize and coordinate with a peer group. And that naturally leads to enjoyment. You know, when you're enjoying something, you stick around and you put value into a system. And so it's really off that basis that I think you can build something long-term and sustainable, but it has to kind of cross that chasm and get to a point where, again, people are getting genuine entertainment value out of the system rather than just purely a financial return. Like that is just, and will never be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And then just on this idea of social games, right? I would say Mm -hmm. Crypto Unicorns actually has a quite engaged community, right? So on some Web3 gaming products, you know, there's a big NFT drop and then leading up to that, everyone's like super hyped. And then they, the NFT drop is done and then people are immediately like, yo, what's going on? Like, how do I make more money? And, you know, often there is a big run up in price of the NFTs and then they crash and then the community dies and then the project dies, et cetera. But with Crypto Unicorns, you guys have kept your community quite engaged. Of course, this is not like any sort of investment recommendation or anything like that, but the, yes, quote unquote floor price for unicorns Mm -hmm. has remained quite healthy which suggests that the community is probably engaged and they still see value in the NFTs, right? Mm -hmm. And so how have you just thought about building and maintaining your community and keeping folks engaged and happy? Constant events, (laughs) constant live events is really the, the simple answer. And I mean, a huge shout out to the community management team. I take zero credit for (laughs) what they and the mods have, have built there. I mean, very early on, I think we realized we were on to something special, just seeing the activity in Discord, you know, people making clay unicorns, right, (laughs) making stickers for the Discord, making gifts. There was a ridiculous movie that had me dropping unicorn milk everywhere, (laughs) my profile pic specifically dropping (laughs) unicorn milk everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And I think that is all wrapped around this core IP that we put a lot of time and effort into, and it's very clear that the community has fallen in love with it as we have. And I think in a vacuum, we wouldn't have been successful even with that. And uh, again, you kind of sprinkle in the land drops that we've done over a period of time. Instead of just doing one, we did three. That allowed us to intersperse a ton of events kind of in between all of that. The Shadow Corn minigame in and of itself did something kind of compelling because it, you know, forced to check in every day. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people would come back into Discord and just chill for a bit as they were, uh, you know, staking and unstaking their corns and stuff. And so I don't know, you know, we've got this idea of like emergent gameplay. I almost kind of feel like we've seen emergent community Mm -hmm. (laughs) occur over the last like six months. But yeah, I mean, there's been a consistent cadence of us doing airdrops, doing NFT cells, running events, the shadow corn mini games, hunter corn, like all of that incredible stuff. And again, it's not just random. I've been into some discords where they're doing a lot of stuff all the time, but it's not tied into anything that's cohesive. And the one thing that's been like really, really cool is just being able to do all of these mini games and events that are tied very much into the fiction and what's going on. It's been a lot of fun. It's definitely a new way to build and engage a community of players. And again, I'm so incredibly proud of what the team has pulled off on that front. Is this a rainbow token pack airdrop 
legit and there's nothing to see here nft yeah so there was an error in the airdrop caused by some probably guilds holding their unicorns and smart contracts Mm. so that caused an error and then unfortunately the engineer running the drop made a made a rather simple mistake which is sad because you know it happens and he's a brilliant guy And so that, that did cause us to airdrop a few more NFTs to start of the lower denominations than we mm-hmm. wanted to. So we had to run kind of a fire drill and we chose to basically redo the metadata of that original set. So now we have these, all these do not enter sign. People will see those change into more a kind of memorabilia. And then we just ran a fire drill and told the community what was happening and spent about two hours rechecking and retesting everything. And then we did the drop a second time and the second time it went flawless. But hey, one of the dangers of doing things in the blockchain space, Mm -hmm. you know, once you send an NFT, it is out there. But again, I mean, and this is just such a perfect example of the phenomenal community of people that we have they're already making memes about it. We already have the do not disturb sign that you can, you know, throw in as an emoji and stuff. And it's become like a part of the community. So we were originally thinking that we would burn those NFTs because it's 1155. We have the ability to do that. We're going to turn them into a little memorabilia. You know, you can hide it in your wallet. You can send it to the burn address if you want to get rid of it. Again, it'll be something fun. Yeah, I was honestly just asking for myself. You know, I may or may not keep <laughs> part or all of that answer in, in there. Um, I mean, I think it'll be fun. Leave sure. it. We're playing into the shadow corns thing and stuff with it. But it's kind of funny because mm-hmm. e- even that mistake and then the very quick change to just say nothing to see here, mm-hmm. keep calm and carry on brought so many new people to our discord who maybe had held a unicorn for only you know a couple weeks but did get a small airdrop and they're like what's going on with this and it was just funny to see that you know even in a mistake we could kind of tweak it into something that again became more of a collectible (laughs) (laughs) and i Uh, I think that's just part of it man you got to kind of embrace the mistakes when they happen and you know move forward yeah um, okay, so going back to this whole idea of some folks, when they're looking for Web3 games, they're basically just looking for, like, how can I extract as much money out of this experience as possible? Mm-hmm. And then on the other extreme of the spectrum, I guess, you know, people are building games first and then maybe layering on some NFTs and blockchain functionality that is not very invasive. Mm-hmm. And so just as you think of these two approaches, you know, both obviously have pros and cons. Where does crypto unicorns sort of fall along the spectrum? And why did you take this sort of approach? We are leaning as hard into Web3 as possible. Hmm. Um, so we're going to have governance launched by the end of this month and begin the, the long multi-year process of effectively giving the keys to the kingdom over to the community. And I think there's a lot of traditional gaming companies that are approaching the space because they see the monetary headlines. And I I see many of them making the mistake of thinking they can just replace IP with NFT Mm -hmm. and nobody gives a shit about (laughs) an NFT if they don't have some ownership and control over the direction of that IP. And that's why we made the decision to go in the same direction as Board Ape Yacht Club if you have a unicorn NFT in your wallet, you own the likeness. Great. Mm-hmm. Monetize it if you would like, right? I would love to get 
Netflix to do a series, right? Like go buy a hundred unicorns and give me the trolls crypto unicorns musical, right? Like I'm in, let's do it. It would be a huge fun story, right? So we're very much, I think, trying to run fast and hard in this direction. Given the uncertainty in the regulatory markets and the crypto market in general, it is the highest risk strategy. And I think that gives us a bit of a moat. I think most companies will be pretty slow to move in this direction. And I think the recent NFT backlash, which some I think is misplaced and, and some is probably correct because mm-hmm. again, IP NFT, it doesn't really matter if you're not, you know, fully embracing a DAO, a governance token, all of those additional, you know, perimeters. And again, you know, we're, we're running this hard and fast down that web three native kind of direction as I think we can. And I hope that that allows us to kind of stay ahead of, of the coming wave. I, I've said this in other podcasts, like I believe NFT gaming eats a huge chunk of free-to-play. I just don't see how that doesn't happen in the next three to five years. And uh, again, I, I think the industry, the traditional industry will be pretty slow to making that transition. And that's where the opportunity is for companies like Laguna. Mm-hmm. And then just playing devil's advocate, right? For the mm-hmm. more traditional gamer folks who are like, wow, this is everything that's wrong with NFTs and games. How do you think this gap is going to be bridged from the more traditional gamers to the more Web3 native games? Or do you think this sort of bifurcation is going to remain for the foreseeable future? look at like Fortnite and Call of Duty Warzone, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I've spent a few thousand dollars over two years in that game buying skins. The more ridiculous, the better, right? Mm -hmm. Give me the stupid bunny suit or the Dr. Dread costume or the ghost face killer from Scream, right? I've got them all. It would be so interesting if they dropped those as limited edition things, right? And you start to think about like the provenance of skins and stuff. Like what if a streamer played with it and then sold it to another mm-hmm. player and now I've got TPs or Nick Merckx or Tim the Tatman mm-hmm. skin, right? Now I may not pay $10,000 for that, but we have already seen in CSGO, we've seen in free-to-play, mm-hmm. there are absolutely people out there who will. And it just seems silly to me to not want to own things. I understand the trepidation that gamers have when they see the headlines, like an NFT going for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And Mm -hmm. I look at that and I'm like, (laughs) that's like really wealthy crypto people. And now wealthy celebrities entering the market, buying Mm -hmm. the access to that exclusive club because they can afford it and it's a flex and it's the same reason that people drive fancy cars around and Mm -hmm. wear rolexes and things right like look around you there this is already exists in the real world and i think it would be silly to assume that digital ownership is not something that you know that matters right and I think Gary Vee or somebody said it where it's like, you know, you wear a Rolex on your you know, wrist and you flex it to the local group of people you might see throughout a day. 
and you have a bored ape, you can flex it to the entire world. And, and there is something, you know, and you, you could say, oh, that's, that's ridiculous and that's insane, but there's something very compelling about that. I also think it's really interesting, and this was frankly a miss of mine in the early like NFT profile pick projects, because I didn't buy an NFT. First NFT I bought, well, I did buy my ENS domain, but I first NFT I actually bought was a crypto unicorn, right? And the thing that I missed with those profile pick projects that I do think is really interesting, it's applicable to crypto unicorns and other games in the space and just NFT projects in general, is this idea that I can purchase an asset and I immediately belong to a community. And that's very human, right? Like look at Harley Davidson drivers, right? Like you mm-hmm. buy a Harley and you pull it up to a bar, you're instantly connected with anyone else, you know, driving one. And so we've seen examples of this in the real world forever and ever and ever. And I just can't imagine a world in which, again, this doesn't just beat the shit out of the free to play market. I mean, we just did a community airdrop and people who had been active and dedicated in our discord holders, et cetera, were all rewarded. And that's just not possible in web two. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last thing that I'll say on it, just generally, I got two more points. The, the sure. first is that web three and well-designed token economic distribution schedules <laughs> done right, allow players to actually capture the very value that they are creating. Like I'm really proud that that we've sold roughly 7 million in primary NFT cells uh, at current prices of Ethereum. And we have seen over 24, now almost $25 million in secondary transaction mm-hmm. volume. And so a Web2 company probably looks at that and goes, you missed out. You missed out on capturing all that yeah. upside. And my response is, we're going to let the community get the largest slice of the pie And we'll take a smaller slice and grow a much larger pie. I mean, that is kind of my belief. And the last thing on just the general kind of gamer NFT hate, again, is the the, the headlines of multi-hundred thousand dollar purchases today. That's not what it becomes. Like eventually as it reaches mass market, we're all buying Pokemon card packs and some of us get lucky on occasion. Mm -hmm. And again, you're spending $10, spending $1, spending $5. And you know, getting to trade a skin, like I'm done with Ghostface and now I can give it to my co-founder who he and I play a shitload of Warzone together. Like that would have been fun. That is yeah. not possible on Web2, right? And again, I, w- I would have just given it to him. I'm not even talking about a return. So again, I, I <laughs> sorry for the rant and the soapbox, but that's, it's like all the early free-to-play hate and look how that turned out, right? Yeah, no, I think it's great to um, highlight some of the positives to all yeah. the stuff, you know, because there's the, the hate, I think, has uh, gotten a lot more mainstream attention, especially within yeah. gaming. I mean, I understand some of it, especially just from the perspective of reading the headlines right. and not taking a moment to understand the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why, you know, as everybody likes to say on crypto Twitter, we're still early. <laughs> <laughs> we are still early. So shifting gears and sort of Mm -hmm. as a concluding question, you know, you've been in the gaming space for quite some time. Yeah, you've been early to the Web3 gaming space, but going forward, what do you want your impact to be? And what are some of the changes you want to see in this whole Web3 gaming space? Or where do you want this space to end up? Impact-wise, 
I want to onboard as many people to the Web3 space as possible. Every single person that creates a crypto wallet and begins to hold these assets and transact peer-to-peer as is possible in this space just adds value, right? The network gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And again, I just look at the trends of internet adoption relative to crypto adoption and man, do those lines continue to line up. Mm -hmm. And I just look at that and I'm like, I mean, it's that idea of it starts as a toy. Like we can package this little unicorn game and onboard people into a space. And, you know, so many people have come to our discord and been helped through their first like decentralized exchange transaction, mm-hmm. their first bridge transaction, which is not fun right now, mm-hmm. right? And, and so all of that stuff makes me really, really happy as just someone who like foundationally believes that like Web3 is just generally a better way for us to communicate and transact and interact as a society globally. And so that would be my hope is that Crypto Unicorns has an impact on bringing millions, if not tens of millions of people to the space over the next decade. What could be improved? Hmm. Wallet user experiences are still just awful generally and need to be improved. A huge shout out to Sequence Wallet by Horizon. That's a very compelling user experience that I think is best in class and the social recovery and all the stuff that they've built in to take away a lot of the things that are very intimidating and scary about self-custody, I think is super valuable. I know there's a lot of companies like my friends at Forte and stuff that are pursuing those goals. And I think that's awesome. And we need more companies working on improving that user experience and smoothing the on-ramp from going from dollars to crypto. And then I think the last big thing is just bridging. Bridging is still scary as shit and prone to exploits and is just generally not great. I mean, I had to bridge millions of dollars from ETH mainnet to Polygon. And even with my experience, you know, it still makes you nervous. Mm -hmm. And we need to get way past that point if the space is going to continue to grow. And so wallet infrastructure bridge infrastructure, those kind of things, I think will give us like the most impactful wins for onboarding a lot of new people to the space. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. It's certainly scary um, when you're moving money around. It can be permanently lost. You have no idea really Mm -hmm. what you're doing and you're just hoping it all works out. Um, So I'm with you there. But yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for taking the time and looking forward to seeing where you take this thing. Thank you for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it, man.